This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Cabrera has singled the left and is lined out to the second baseman. Three men on. Here's the pitch. Swing and a high pop-up. Toward the middle of the infield, the shortstop, Crawford, behind second, makes the catch, and the inning is over. That was Ryan Vogelsong escaping a huge jam in Game 3 of the 2012 World Series in Detroit. Because of that night and many others, Vogel has become a Giants fan favorite. But there's more you may still not know, like why he rode home from the yard the very next night in a cop car. Those stories and more as we go inside Ryan Vogelsong's Giant Moments. Now, now, this is Inside Giant Moments, presented by Oracle. Our franchise has countless memorable, iconic moments. Join Mark Willard as he connects with our former players who lived these moments to relive the emotions, the stories, and the joy. Ryan Vogelsong joins us on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. This one is going to be a blast. Very much looking forward to it. Ryan, thank you so much for doing it. Hey, man, thanks for having me. It's, a, it's always a pleasure to, to talk to you guys and, and revisit some of the good stuff. Yeah, no doubt about it. And uh, I'm telling you, man, as, as we were putting together all of the moments, Ryan, there are a lot of them. <laughs> Yeah, they were. They came in a. They came in a, a pretty small, uh, short amount of time, but there was quite a few. No doubt. Uh, you and I, by the way, have something in common. We were both in the Northwest League in 1998. I was broadcasting with the Boise Hawks at the time. Uh, you were with Salem Kaiser. Uh, those two teams ended up battling for the the championship that year. And I'm trying to remember, and I'm sure you can help me. Were you still there when they won it all, or had you moved on to San Jose by then? Well, I actually went to San Jose and then came back. So I'm, okay. I actually pitched. I pitched the clinching game in Boise. I pitched game. I started game three of the game that we we clinched it. I I was wondering if my memory was was fooling me because I, I remember your name and sitting there with. Uh, uh, you know, my scorebook, and I was trying to go, okay, is that is that a- what actually happened? So, uh, so yeah, you uh, you broke our hearts at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I actually I actually was uh, – I was pretty banged up at that point in time um, physically, uh, you know, just coming off a, a, a lot of innings in college and then, you know, being, you know, in pro ball for the first time and not really – knowing how to, to handle myself because I was actually a two-way player in college. I played third base in, in uh, pitch. So, I mean, I was playing every day, doing something, and I was pretty beat down by the time we got to, to that point. And uh, so I, I just remember not being all together physically the way I wanted to be and, and uh, kind of grinded through their game. And we we actually had a very good offensive team that year. and we, we, we put up a good number of runs. But I think the game was still close, but – um, I do know I started and won the, the clinching game. 
Uh, the bus leagues of the Northwest and the injuries you just detailed, I, I would imagine a very good way to motivate you to get to the Bay Area. What do you remember about that time in your life? Yeah, it was um, – yeah, I, I kind of battled uh, some shoulder stuff. Uh, nothing major, just some shoulder stuff throughout the minor leagues. And a lot of it was just trying to figure out how to to, to stay physically strong and, and healthy through a – a professional baseball season playing, you know, 144 or so games in the minor leagues. And then if, if you make the playoffs and just trying to, to adjust to that. Um, and more so because I was a, a full-time pitcher for the first time. So I, I didn't really, I wasn't really accustomed to having four days off in between. And so it took me a little bit to kind of figure out what I was going to take to get healthy. And uh, once I kind of, figured that out and uh, things started falling together and, you know, finally got caught up in um, September of 2000 and um, pretty, pretty special moments in, in Giants history. Then, you know, obviously I get called up and about two or three weeks later, we, they, the, 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 the team clin- clinched the national league West division in 2000. And so, you know, being in, being in the big leagues for the first time and then getting to be a part of a, a champagne party, within the first 30 days was pretty cool to, to introduce yourself to, to major league baseball. Yeah. I, I am. I imagine things are moving pretty fast though at, at that time, especially because you're just trying to find your way as a major leaguer. And then you're a part of all that and, and the celebration. So how, how did you go about trying to, to slow things down and establish your career? You know, I had, um, I had guys in that locker room that, knew how to to treat me i mean when i think about the guys that were in that room in 2000 and 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 being in uh in san francisco again for a little bit no one i mean i had guys like mark gardner who ended up being my bullpen coach later in my career and russ ortiz and kirk reader and and uh jt snow rob nan i mean all the great players that were on those teams and i and i'm leaving out so many guys you know sean dunstan and, you know, Barry, even Barry and Jeff, um, Jeff Ken, Barry Bonds, um, those guys all treated me like, like I was their little brother. And those guys really shaped how I ended up being later in my career. It didn't really take a hold of me until about halfway through my career, but those guys really taught me what it meant to be a Major League Baseball player, how, it, how, how I was supposed to go about my business, um, how I was supposed to act on and off the field. And it, it took it took a little while for it all to kick in, but when it did, I was like, those were the moments where I was like, that's what those guys were talking about. Oh, that's what they were talking about. Now I understand. But those those guys that I was around in that clubhouse in, in a little bit in 2000 and then for some more time in 01, they really shaped me as a player for the future. And like you said, it was going 100 miles an hour, but to their credit, they they helped me slow the game down and slow life down and understand why I was there and what I was supposed to be doing. You know, I, I'm just so excited about this conversation because it is a unique story and a great redemption story. The very next year, the Giants trade you to Pittsburgh. You're struggling with injuries. You go overseas to Japan. Then you have your short stints with the the Angels and and Phillies. It's a full 10 years after the Giants trade you that you're back in San Francisco on the mound all of a sudden for a start against your old team, the Pirates. I, I 
can only imagine the emotions going through you at that time. What comes to mind about that day? Well, it, it started off kind of weird. <laughs> um, I, I was very early into um, not talking on game day, and, and I kind of figured out the year before that and in winter ball going into 2011 that I was having trouble focusing on games and that I needed to turn it on early and stay in it until the game was over. So I get downstairs in the hotel in uh, in Pittsburgh, and, you know, I'm already pumped up because it's my first start back um, in the major leagues in a long time, like you said. And, and my, my uh, wife's side of the family is all from Pittsburgh. I met my wife in, in uh, Nashville, but she is from Pittsburgh. So I knew I was going to have a lot of um, family members and friends and stuff in the stands that day. So I'm just trying to, to really get myself to start thinking about the game, and I'm standing there waiting for a cab. And I turn. I look to my right, and there's Boach. <laughs> he goes, "Hey, I'll ride to the field with you. Come on!" And I'm like, "I don't want to talk. You know, I'm I'm trying to get ready to pitch this game, and now Boach wants to ride to the field with me. What am I gonna What am I gonna say to him? No, I'm not riding with you. So, um, we, you know, we, you know, Sunday morning day games, especially after a Saturday night game, um, most cab rides in the morning there isn't a whole lot of conversation. And I think Boach, we all know how, how intelligent Boach is and how um, aware of his surroundings he is. And I think he knew um, the magnitude of that game for me. And it was a pretty quiet ride. He kind of just, we just kind of rode together. It, it wasn't like we were, he was expecting me to talk to him or answer questions or, or anything like that. So just being in that cab with him and, and him acting that way, kind of settled me in for the for the morning and it was crazy I, I was throwing the ball very well you know in spring training going into that and then two starts in triple a i'd thrown the ball really good and i hadn't had much um problems with my mechanics all spring or or my first couple of starts in triple a it was just kind of just rolling along and i go out to warm up for that game in, in pittsburgh and i'm in the bullpen and my mechanics are out of whack i cannot throw the ball where i want to I'm just out of kilter, and I remember stopping and looking up and going, really, this is the day that you're going to do this to me? This is the day that you're going to make my, me lose my fuel and my mechanics. And so, I mean, it was, uh, it was a grind. I actually ended up throwing the ball pretty good. Uh, I know we won the game, and I think I, you know, I got into the six or something like that, but um, it was, it was a, the first time in a while that season where – I was grinding to find what I wanted to find the entire game, and and thank gosh it worked out the way it did. The 2-2 pitch to Wood. Swing and a miss. He struck him out to end the inning in Vogelsong after allowing the first two Pirates to reach. It's a little dribbler and two strikeouts, and we will head to the fifth. Giants four, Pirates one. Your first win in the bigs in six years, and and that's amazing fabric that you felt like you you were searching the whole time was there a moment where something clicked or it just it was just one of those games that you found your way through yeah it was one of those games that it just um just found my way through it and some guys made some really good plays behind me and I made some big pitches when I had to it was one of those games where I couldn't really throw two pitches in a row where I wanted to it was like throw one where I wanted to miss a couple and then throw one where I wanted to and then just miss a little bit, but, you know, missing a good spot. Um, 
it wasn't one of those days where I went out there and just was kind of carving up turkeys the whole day. But, you know, as, as we know, that's the way, that's the way uh, things go in the game. And, and, you know, that was one of the moments where, it, to me, I was like, okay, um, I'm starting to become the pitcher that I want to be because, you know, five or six years prior to that, if I would have had that game, I would have given up like five or six runs in the first inning and the game would have been over. And I was able to, to you know, well, I was able to manipulate the game and stay in the game and do enough to keep us in the game and win the game. So I'm like, okay, I'm making progress here. I love the the story about the cab ride with Boach too, because <laughs> it became it became a, a thing that people knew about through the years, and your teammates had talked about it a, a time or two about how don't talk to Vogie on on game day and. I would imagine fans process that as just a piece of your personality, but to hear you describe it, it was strategic more than anything. Yeah. You know, it just, and um, a lot of it was, that's what took me so long to figure this, this pitching thing out. Um, You know, everyone can tell you what they know or what they think or how you should go about something, but until you can figure out what makes you tick, and what makes you be the best that you can possibly be. No one can ever tell you that they can give you ideas or this is what helped me. And you know, this is what another guy told me might've helped him, but until you can find out what makes you tick. And it just took me a long time to figure out that I, I had trouble concentrating. And when the nights when I concentrated, I pitched really good. And the nights that I didn't, I would be sitting in the clubhouse three innings into the game going, what just happened? And it's because I had no concentration whatsoever. I was just out there throwing the ball and hoping that it was going to go where I wanted it to. So once I kind of figured out, hey, this is the way I have to act, I, I don't care anymore if people don't like it. Because, you know, in my in the previous years, there I would try to be like that, and guys would be like, oh, Bogey's being a tough guy again, you know. <laughs> and it's because I had mature teammates that didn't understand. You know, but once I got back with the Giants in 11 and had a lot of proven veteran guys that kind of understood the path that I had been through and just were like, this is the way he has to do it. Just let him do his thing. And it didn't, it helped that I was pitching well. Um, If I wasn't pitching well, they probably wouldn't have liked it too much, but (laughs) they let me be me. And it just took me a while to figure out that that's how I had to go about my business. And um, it's not that I truly liked being that way. It was tiring at times and, there was times where there was conversations going on that I wanted to be a part of. And it was like, you can't, because if you get out of your, what, if you, if you get out of your mode here, you're not going to pitch good tonight. And then that's going to bother you more than this conversation. So um, yeah, it just took me a while to figure out that's how I had to be. I think it is so appropriate uh, that for you to put a word on what finally changed after all these years that turned you into a different pitcher the word seems to be concentration. And the reason I find that to be appropriate is your story is so different. And that's probably a different answer than many people would expect. Many people would think, oh, you something happened mechanically or uh, there was a confidence thing. For you, it was concentration, huh? Yeah, you know, there was, there was some minor, minor, like my, very minor mechanical tweaks along the way. I mean, it's not like I revamped an entire delivery. Um some some little stuff, but nothing major. But a lot of it, yes, was I knew that I had the ability to pitch in the big leagues because I had done it. 
and I knew I had the ability to pitch in the big leagues effectively because I had done it. My problem was doing it consistently. Um, I could not string two or three good games in a row together. And if I did string two in a row together, then there was probably four bad ones following it. I just did not know how to string five or six good games in a row together and keep it going and maybe have a bad one and then get it going again. That was the thing that I struggled with. And once I figured out that it was a focus and concentration thing for me, that's when things started turning around. Tell me about the conversation Bruce Bochy has with you as he names you to the all-star team. Wow. That was a cool night. Um, so we were in Detroit and I was pitching a day game the next day. It was a Sunday day game. I was pitching the next day and we had a Saturday night game in Detroit and we had a, a rain delay and um, per Bochy's request, most of the time, um, if you were pitching a day game the next day, he would like he wanted you to stay for about four or five innings the night before, and then he would tell you to leave and go home and get some rest, um, and go and watch a game on TV, lay in the apartment or in your hotel or it's your apartment in San Francisco, and get some rest and be ready to pitch a day game. Because um, as we know, sometimes those Saturday night games get pretty late. You run home and you can't fall asleep right away. The next thing you know, it's, you know, two or three in the morning and you're trying to get up at nine to, to pitch a day game. And next thing you know, you know, you haven't slept for more than like four or five hours. So he was pretty good about that with all of us. And um, so he had told me before the game, he said, hey, you know, it looks like we're going to have a pretty bit, a pretty long rain delay here. He's like, why don't you hang out here for a little while um, and then go ahead and, and take it back to the hotel and try and get some rest. Um He's like, you're going to pitch tomorrow no matter what. And I said, okay, sounds good to me. So we actually started the game and played, I think, a couple innings, and the skies opened up. And uh, he came up to me again and said, hey, why don't you go um, back to the hotel? And I said, okay. And he goes, well, I want to talk to you for one second in my office first. And I said, all right. And I I knew, you know, I I was thinking about the All-Star game, but – not that, hey, I have a chance to make it. I just knew that the all-star break was coming. And I knew I was pitching good, and I knew I had good numbers. But at that point in time, for me, it was just about pitching good the next game. It wasn't about my numbers or if I was pitching better than this guy or that guy. For me, it was just the next game. Pitch good, okay, we're going to the next game. I knew it was the all-star game was coming because the all-star break was coming. And I knew that day, the next day, they were going to be announcing the all-star teams. But I never put two and two together until he called me in the office. <laughs> and Rags was sitting in there and Darty was sitting in there. And I was kind of like, what's going on in here? And he's like, sit down. I want to talk to you. <laughs> so then he said, hey, you know, this is one of the best things in my, that I've ever gotten to do in my career is, is to tell you that you're, you've made the all-star team. And it was like my, it was kind of like my ears weren't working, you know? So he's like, he's up, gives me a hug. You know, obviously Rags and I had a really good relationship. Um, going back to my, you know, original days with the Giants and the same with Gardy, like I had mentioned earlier. So a little emotional in the room. And then he's like, hey, you can't tell anybody, you know, they're not announcing this to tomorrow. So don't go home and call everyone. And then they blow this thing up before they announce the team tomorrow. I said, don't worry. You don't have to worry about that. So I um, went home, <clears throat> called my parents, or I called my wife first and just said, hey, don't you can't tell anyone. 
I called my mom and dad and told them because I, I knew they they don't have Twitter or Facebook or anything, so I didn't have to worry about them. Right. So uh, <laughs> it's a pretty pretty special night, you know, to to do that, you know, because one year prior I had gotten released like the day after the All Star break and from AAA with the Phillies. So, you know, one year before that I was kind of didn't know where my career was going, and the next year I was going to the Major League All Star game. So, pretty special moment. I'm telling you, man, I, I'm I'm getting the chills listening to this because this is <laughs> this is not about baseball anymore. I mean, to 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 listen to somebody's career, uh, you know, take that kind of a leap and have that kind of symbolic acknowledgement in in one calendar year. I mean, that's that's pretty good stuff, man. Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where. In the moment, you're going, man, this is pretty cool. Um, but now that I've kind of done, started some speaking stuff and um, thinking back on things, I go, man, I, I, that's that's pretty unbelievable. That's one of those moments where if you're sitting there and someone says, hey, don't worry, man, next year you're going to be a major league all-star, you're like, yeah, right. That's a, that, that's about as far <laughs> as you can get, you know, and it's so the fact that, that I was, that it happened, you know, was is pretty crazy. Um, your final numbers that year: thirteen and seven, an ERA of two seven one in a rotation that included Lincecum, Kane, Bumgarner. What was it like to be in a rotation with those guys? Man, you want to talk about pressure? People ask me all yeah. the time <laughs> pressure, and I said, "Listen, I was the guy that went to had to go to Japan for three years, and then I come back and." I'm in a rotation with a two-time Cy Young Award winner, the guy that called the horse, the guy that, you know, eventually was going to be Mad Bum. He wasn't Mad Bum yet, but he was he was starting to carve his path, you know. And uh, so, so my biggest thing that whole year in 2011 was just don't be the guy that's not doing what he's supposed to do. And, you know, I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to, to kind of keep up with them and I never thought that I would keep up with them in that way. But, um, you know, those guys, I don't think I would have pitched like that if it wasn't for them. They they pushed me so hard that year without even knowing it. They didn't even have to say words. Just the way they went out and threw the ball made me understand that I had to keep up with them or I was going to probably go back to AAA. <laughs> so, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it, was, uh, it was pretty fun being in a, in a locker room with, with those that rotation and being able to tell people that you are a part of that rotation is, is pretty special. Well, and the cherry on the top, uh, as a teammate at the end of the year, you also win the Willie Mack Award. Man, just when, uh, when I think things are going to slow down a little bit, <laughs> they just keep getting better. And the fact that my teammates voted this award for me uh, means so much to me. You know, when I started this journey this year, it was all about just uh, becoming a better baseball player, trying to get back to the big leagues and, and being the best giant I could. And along the way, this inspirational story has come about. So hopefully my story can inspire some people and, and help get you through some things that you need to get through. What did that mean to you? Yeah, I mean, um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of honors in, in this game of baseball that you can get individual in as a team and um that that is probably the 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 most special for me outside of being able to say that I, that that we won 
two World Series titles together. Um, when you win championships, it bonds you as a team and as people. Um, but that one, that, that Willie McCovey Award, I don't have a whole lot of stuff hanging on my walls in my house. Um, but that is the one, that is one of the individual awards that I have hanging up. Um, I only have two. That is one of them. Uh, that, that Willie Mack Award is pretty special, as, as we know as Giants fans and as Giants people. Um, to, to be able to put your name alongside of a man like him is for what he did on the field, off the field, um, it's pretty, pretty incredible. Uh, probably, probably one of the coolest moments that I had standing in front of that podium that night and accepting that award and having him sit next to me um, for, for, for a kid that thought his career was over. And the next thing I know, I'm standing next to a Hall of Famer on, on the field to, to give a speech because I'm winning his award was uh, way, way, way out of, out of space for me. <laughs> if you, you say you only display two awards and that's one of them, what's the other one? Uh, actually, the same year I won a, a, a Philadelphia Writers Association a Sportsman of the Year Award because I grew up in Chester County. It's about 30 minutes outside of Philly. And, uh, you know, growing up in Chester County, people don't really think of us as Philly people because um, we're kind of halfway in between, like, the Amish country, horse farm country, and then you drive about 20 minutes and you're right outside the city. So, we kind of the lost and forgotten people there. So the fact that a little kid from Chester County that grew up in the horse farms, you know, won a Philadelphia sports writers award um, was pretty special for me as well. It's kind uh, of crazy. Because that to, night I won uh, that award. Hunter Pence, Hunter Pence won the award for the being the, you know, the most popular press guy with the Phillies in 2011. Yeah. So we're sitting next to each other at a dinner, um, not <laughs> knowing that a year later we were going to be teammates. You know, and the other cool thing about that is I'm sitting at that dinner and Hunter Pence is on one side of me and Ruben Amaro Jr. was on the other side of me. And he was the guy that had released me in in July of 2010 from the Phillies. <laughs> so I got to go up and receive an award standing next to him and I got to thank him for releasing me because I said, if you wouldn't have released me last year, I wouldn't have gone back to the Giants and been an all-star and get to stand up here and accept this award. So... I thanked him for releasing me. <laughs> that, I think that speaks pretty kindly of you that you thanked him instead of looking at him and saying, how you like me now? <laughs> well, we had been we had been sitting next to each other for about an hour before I actually got to go speak. So it was we, we had a good laugh about it. And, you know, I had, <laughs> I had known Ruben for a long time from playing winter ball in Venezuela and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I, I know how it was. I know it's a business and, you know, if you're not doing what you're supposed to do, then you make yourself acceptable to that those kind of moves. And at that point in time, I was the move. You know, so it, it turned out good for all for all of us. Uh, before we get to the baseball of 2012, can we talk about the contract for a second? In January, you get a two-year deal. It secures your future. I imagine that's an emotional moment as well. How did that feel? Yeah, it was awesome. Um, you know, I had hadn't had any stability going into any season, you know, until then, you know, I never had gone into a spring training knowing that I was in a rotation or I was always the guy that was going to be fighting for a spot in the rotation and always had to be, you know, on the top of my game, walking in the door the first day. So finally, you know, 
have a great year, and I'm so excited that I just pitched well for, for a long period of time. Um, obviously disappointing that we didn't go further as a team because I thought that was probably one of the better teams we had top to bottom. Um, but then the two-year deal happens, and, you know, I'm just like, yes, finally I can go to spring training and just relax and, and uh, just work on being ready for opening day, and I don't have to worry about making a team anymore. And then two weeks before spring training, I hurt my back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so then I spent all spring training rehabbing my back, trying to make sure I didn't end up under the doctor's knife and was able to even pitch. So, uh, you know, it's just, once again, it's just crazy how things happen. You know, you think you're just going to sit back and stroll for a couple months. And next thing I know, I'm battling just to, to be able to pitch in 2012. Yeah, and 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 that you did. 94 wins for the team. And I'm glad you brought up Hunter Pence because as you get to the playoffs, the team is immediately down 2-0. You've got the ball to start game 3 and the team knows you have to win 3 straight on the road before the game Hunter Pence gives the speech. What did that do for you? Can I can I back you up real quick? Sure. If you don't mind. So the crazy thing for me about 2012 on a personal level was that back injury was a lot worse than a lot of people knew. Hmm. Um, I I had herniated a disc very bad in my back and basically had no strength in my left leg for pretty much the entire season. And the reason I want to mention this is because our training staff was so good. Um, I mean, they basically glued me back together you know, for the four days in between starts for an entire season. Um, I mean, there was three or four games that I can remember where it was just me and Buster Posey in the clubhouse, and I asked Buster to put my shoes on for me. And he would kind of look at me like, what? And I'd say, Buster, just get my cleats on. I'll tie them. But can you put my shoes on for me? And he's like, Bogey, how are you going to pitch? And I'm like, Buster, just just get my cleats on. And let me figure that out. So, and then I actually pitched really good in all four of those games. And he would tell me every time, I don't know what you're made of, but it's unbelievable. (laughs) So back to the, back to the playoffs. I'm fine. This is probably the healthiest I've been the whole year, as far as my back and feeling like I can just go dominate the world. Um, So we're going into that game three and, I'm ready for a playoffs. I had never been there before. Feeling pretty pretty amped up before the game. And then Boach comes in and gives this amazing speech about Gideon from the Bible and the 300 soldiers and how we're going to go in there and just wreck Cincinnati for three days. And, and then Hunter just stands up and politely apologizes to him that, hey, that was a really good speech, but check this one out. <laughs> And when he got done, I mean, guys were crying. Guys wanted to run through the wall. Guys were hugging. I mean, guys were clapping. I mean, every gamut of emotion that you could think of was happening in that room. At some Somewhere, sometime in that room, it was happening. And mine was, I'm going to go run through a wall tonight. And um, second inning, he actually almost did run through a wall in right field and made a catch. <laughs> and I said... I said to myself on the mound, I go, if this man out here is going to run through a wall, they're not getting another hit. And I, they didn't. Mm. They didn't. Mm. I walked a couple guys, but I, they didn't get another yeah. hit. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, the the whole story, the whole night to me is is one heck of a story of intestinal fortitude because even the story that you just told, uh, everyone's emotional and, and everybody is amped and ready to go, and then you go out there and immediately they score. Uh, you're you're down one right away. So in that moment, wh- where do you go? Where where do you go mentally to find the gumption to do what? than you did you know it could have been way worse too buster made a really good play um brandon phillips was stealing second base and i threw a wild pitch to cozart and he tried to go to third and buster threw him out from the backstop trying to go to third so i mean we ended up giving up one but it could have been two or three if he doesn't make that play so i mean there was little plays throughout the whole game that kind of changed innings but you know i was throwing the ball okay i you know the first inning is is uh it's tough sometimes. You're trying to set a win. You're trying to control adrenaline, especially on the road in a playoff game like that. You know, the Cincinnati was rocking because they were up 2-0, and it was the game three back there. And you're just trying to control as many things as you can. And I was throwing some half-decent pitches. It wasn't getting some calls. You know, a couple uh, balls that weren't hit great that found holes and. You just kind of keep you just keep plugging away. You just keep trying to make pitches because you know eventually that things are going to start to turn around and and they did. I got a couple calls to go my way and then kind of settled into the game and it was, you know, hands down that game, toughest game of any playoff game I've ever pitched. Hmm. Just the the emotion of the night, um, the situation we were in, the stadium we were in, the lineup we were facing. I mean, any pitch. To that lineup in that stadium, a fly ball could be a home run and, and changes everything. So it was one of those games where I don't think I've been as focused on every pitch for five innings that I, than I was on that night. Bozard walked and scored the lone run for Cincinnati. He scored on Bruce's RBI. That was a two-out single by Bruce in the first inning. And Vogelsong has not allowed a hit since that time. Two base runners on walks. Got him. Ryan Vogelsong strikes out Cozart. He's racked up five punch outs. And hanging in there step for step with Homer Bailey. Uh, and where are you watching the rest of, of innings six through nine? Did, did you go get a shower or are you staying right there? No. Um, so I was a big believer that once you were done pitching, you did not stay in the dugout and you did not go back to the dugout. Um, I learned that from one of my first minor league coaches. Uh, he, he was a big stickler about that. Once you were done pitching, you went upstairs and watched it in the clubhouse. He didn't like it. He thought it was very college-esque when guys would go up and take a shower and then come back down. Um, so I kind of just always did it that way. So I was in the clubhouse. Uh, you know, I iced my arm down the way I always did. And, you know, then I just sat in front of the TV and, you know, usually in the training room with one, one of the trainers was always in the training room. So I usually sat in the training room or, or paced around and, and Mike Murphy was Murph was always in the clubhouse or down in the tunnel. So he'd come up and, you know, tell me what the vibe was in the dugout and what was going on, who was going to, who was down there warming up the pinch hit. So, um, you know, just, it's kind of cool that you're asking me these questions because it takes me back to being in the room and, just kind of pacing around and Murph coming in and, you know, just being in the training room and the trainer's going, we just need something good to happen. And so pretty cool, man. Pretty cool moments. 
Um, you win the series, and then off to the NLCS, and the Cardinals get game one, and, and boom, it's your turn again. The ball in game two, probably knowing you have to win. Uh, you get through the first inning, and then Pagan leads off the bottom of the first with a home run. One-two pitch. There's a swing and a high drive deep into right field, way, way back there, and that ball is gone! A home run for Pagan leading it off for the Giants. And just like that, they have a 1-0 lead. That one may have gotten wet. I'll tell you something, John. I think Matt Holliday did this Giants team a favor. He got everybody in that Giants dugout into this game. How much did that settle any nerves that you might have been feeling? So so one of the one of the biggest things with me that I never really I was kind of watching the offense, but I was always in my own thoughts with what I needed to do. Um, and I always pitched the game like it was 0-0. Unless, you know, I knew what the scoreboard was and I knew what the score was. And if there was a situation where I needed to attack a guy, I was going to do that. But for me to be me, I, I pitched the game like it was 0-0. So that point in time, one nothing doesn't really change the game for me. Um I was just trying to get myself going to to be where I wanted to be uh, and making pitches, and that kind of happened in the third inning. And once that hit, it was we pretty much rolled after that. Yeah, yeah, um, and and the whole series I think um, was really kind of tailor made for for you. The stuff you're talking about right now, the reputation you built, because a few nights later there you are facing elimination again. However, you're back home. This is after the Zito game, and, uh, mm-hmm. and you're facing uh, you're facing Chris Carpenter again. What are you thinking going into that game? What's the game plan? Uh, well, so going back to my Pittsburgh days, um, Chris Carpenter won the Cy Young. I think it was like oh five or oh six, and I mean this guy just destroyed us every time he pitched against us when I was in <laughs> Pittsburgh. And I used to just sit down in the bullpen going. I'm gonna I'm gonna get this guy back someday. I don't know when it's gonna be, but I'm gonna get him back someday. <laughs> so when I got him in game two, I was like, "Here we go. This is my chance to get this man back." So I beat him in game two, and that was awesome. So then I got him again in game six, and I'm like, "I'm sending this dude home forever tonight." <laughs> so I mean, that's those kind of comments and stuff. That's where I was mentally. Uh, it was one of those games where. I didn't. They could have ran the 27 Yankees out there, and I wasn't going to lose. Um, I was that locked in mentally. I was feeling that good mechanically about all my pitches, about what I wanted to do, how I was going to attack guys. And you know, I think I got to be able to be in that moment because of all the struggles that I had before. You know, coming out of a game and going, you had zero focus. Coming out of a game, going, you weren't paying attention to that pitch coming out of the game and going, man, I, I messed that play up with a guy on second. So I think all those moments just kind of came together and we're like, you're ready. You, you've, you've, you've been through everything that you can be through, and you've, you've had some good times with it, you've had some bad times with it, but you are 100% ready for this moment. And especially in the first inning, it was like, I remember walking off fields, giving up five runs in the first inning, going, what happened? Well, you didn't control your emotions. You didn't control your adrenaline. So I warmed up, 
you know, and then walk out on the field in the first inning and go, all right, you're going to control your adrenaline and you're going to dominate the first inning and set the tone for the rest of the night. And I punched out the side in the first inning and set the tone for the rest of the night. So it's just crazy how everything just kind of fell into place for me in those playoffs and those moments. It was like they were built up for 14 years. Hmm. Career high nine strikeout game too. So you, you, you had a little something extra that night. Yeah. You know, it was, it was funny because after the first inning, I think I shook Buster off two or three times and just kept throwing fastballs. And uh, he goes, what's going on? I said, bro, it, just keep putting the number one down until I shake you. And he's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, but it's, it's good tonight. <laughs> so we threw a ton of fastballs. I know that. <laughs> now the windup. Vogel songs, two and two pitch. Struck it out, swing it. Fastball at 94. Blew it right by Jay. Three and two the count. Vogel song throws. Struck him out swinging. The high fastball exploding up in the zone and out of the strike zone. And Vogelsong with two shutout innings and five strikeouts already. The pitch, slider lifted to center. In a little bit. Pagan, he's under it. He's got it. And they've gone two-thirds of the way. Another elimination game won by the Giants. And the Giants have set up that game seven. They got it home. That was their motto. And then Vogelsong did it again. The team faces elimination that year five times, and you win all five collectively. How did you do that? Yeah. We had some unbelievable people in the locker room. Um, we had some guys that didn't know how to quit. We had guys that didn't just didn't want to go home. And um, that kind of stuff rubs off on each other. Uh we had guys that just that just wanted to win baseball games. The biggest thing for me was the guys in that room didn't care whose name was on the headline the next day. All that mattered was if the Giants won or lost. And it could have been one guy one night, another guy the next night. It didn't matter. It just mattered that it said the Giants won. And I think that is what propelled us to win those elimination games and then go to the world series and play the way we did in the world series. Cause we didn't care who got the credit. We just wanted to win baseball games. Uh, let's go to that world series. You guys get the first two games and now it's your ball in game three. And we know how series work when a team loses the first two on the road, when it, when it shifts to that other city, the entire city is amped to try to take momentum back. It's a game they know they absolutely have to have if they want any chance in the series. So how did you handle the onslaught of emotion from the entire city of Detroit knowing they need to beat you that night? Yeah, and I think it goes back to, like I said before, just experiences. And I think, you know, I drew some from game three in Cincinnati where – it was reversed. We were down 0-2, and they wanted to send us home for the rest of the year. And they were out of their mind, like screaming at me in the bullpen and warming up. And, you know, it took me a couple hitters to control the adrenaline and, and get into the flow of the game. And, you know, I just kind of said, hey, it's, it, it's, it's the same, but it's different. We're up 2-0. But, you know, I got to go out there and set the tone in this game early and not let these fans get in the game. And, you know, first of all, it was freezing cold. And growing up in Philly and playing baseball at Kutztown University in 32 degrees um, wasn't a big factor for me. 
it actually felt more at home than, than pitching in the heat. Um, you know, and I got mad. Um, I always played better when I was mad. And <laughs> I kind of took, I kind of took about 10 minutes in the outfield before the game to kind of go through in my head, the path. And I heard the people in my head telling me I wasn't good enough and you can't do this and you can't do that. And you're not good enough for this and you're never going to be able to do that. And it made me mad. And it kind of, I just kind of drew power from that as well and confidence and, and focus. And, you know, then you go to the bullpen and you're warming up in Detroit, the fans are right there. And every pitch I threw, there was about four or five guys standing behind me that let me know that every time I threw a ball, they Prince Fielder took me deep or Cabrera took me deep. And growing up, not in Philly, but outside of Philly, played a lot of street basketball. And, and trash talk was, you know, par for the course. So them talking trash on me made me even more focus, even more instead of doing what they thought they were doing. Um, so I remember I threw my last pitch. And, uh, you know, Billy Hayes throws me the ball back. And I turn around and I never talked, right? turn around and I flipped it to the guy and I told him I said hey bud this game's over because that's how good I warmed up and uh Rags kind of looked at me like whoa like <laughs> he never talks right so we're walking across the outfield and I go we got this Rags don't worry and he goes just go just go be you and I said I got this we're good so you know I went out and it wasn't as clean as it was could have been but um kept him off the board and you want to talk about a night where one run made a big difference that second inning when we went up one nothing, and then 2 nothing definitely allows you to, to attack the strike zone a lot more, especially with that lineup that, that could have hit the ball over the fence at any point in time. Um, those two runs were, were huge that night early. But uh, just, uh, <clears throat> just you can just tell by, I don't know, by talking to me, but what an emotional drain like all these games were. <laughs> yeah. you, yeah. walk out, you walk off the field and you're like, you're not tired because you're like, I want to keep playing, but you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm spent. <laughs> oh. Well, I imagine. And then, for instance, I mean, the apex of the whole thing, the fifth inning, there's Miguel Cabrera. The bases are loaded. Take us through that yeah. at bat. Well, I actually got lucky to bat before that. Um, Quentin Berry was, was hitting in the two holes, so he comes up, bases loaded. And <clears throat> I fell behind him. And got to a two one count and threw him a change up and I hung it. And I mean he he was all over it and fouled it straight back. It was one of those ones that like rattles the plexiglass back there behind old plate. And I just remember going, Oof, man, I don't wanna I don't wanna do that again. Or it's gonna be four to two real quick. And uh so I go, All right, I got him out so so as a bat before that I threw him a change up and he grounded into a double play. So I threw him that change up and he fouled it off and I go. Man, I, I go, I think I can go to the same spot, but I just need a little bit more fuzz on it. So Buster and I kind of gave me a sign for the fastball, and it was like a little like glove pump, like, hey, same location. And I put it in the exact same spot and a little bit more hair on it and got it by him. So, I mean, that was huge, that strikeout there, because all he has to do is put the ball in play unless it's a double play and they score a run. So now it's two to one. And so that strikeout's huge, but – like you said, uh, the best hitter in the world at the time was coming up next, and we had we had some work to do. This is the World Series, and this is just the man the Tigers want to have up there in a spot like this. Cabrera has singled the left and has lined out to the second baseman. Off-speed pitches both, and he was off balance on both. Three men on. 
Avila at third, Infante at second, Jackson at first. Here's the pitch. Swing and a high pop up toward the middle of the infield. The shortstop, Crawford, behind second, makes the catch, and the inning is over. Ryan Vogelsong living dangerously, facing the American League's best hitter with the bases loaded, and he got him. So I kind of had a game plan against him going into the to that night, and it was I knew I wanted to get him out with with sinkers in under his hands, um, but I was going to stay away from that until I needed it. Uh, so his first two at bats, I never threw him a two seamer in under his hands. Um, I threw him everything else I had, threw him away. The at bat before that, I threw him two change ups away. Um, one of them he pulled about 400 feet foul in left field. And then I threw him another one. He broke his bat, line drive to second base. So I had gone soft away twice the bat before. So I knew I had – that was a place I wanted to go, and I knew I could get in there because I had gone soft away. And Buster went through about every sign we have except for that one. So he finally goes there, and he kind of gave me that look with his eyes like, boy, you better know what you're doing here. And uh, I did. <laughs> you know, I, I, had, I had that plan laying in bed the night before that – that's where I was going to go if I needed to go there with him with guys on base. And it was one of those epiphanies like, okay, here we go. This is what you were thinking about last night. So I threw a one in under his hands, and he kind of saw it, and he almost kept it fair down the right field line and jammed him, and he almost gave me a jam job, which probably would have scored all three runs. But thank God it went foul. Buster goes through all the signs again because I want to go back in the same spot. We finally get in there. I ram it in there. He pops it up, and – Damage over. Ryan, do you remember anything about that night after the game? Once once you kind of found the quiet, whether it's back at the hotel, maybe a chat with uh, with your wife, Nicole, what, what was everything like at that point? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I don't think I've ever really thought about that night because you just go right to <laughs> – you just go right to the next night, you know, and, and, and win it the next night. That night – yeah, that night, I mean, I, I think I, I just went back to the hotel and, um, you know, I, I had my mom and dad were in town and, and some of my buddies from PA were in town. And I think we just kind of sat down and had a couple, you know, adult beverages and and we were just kind of talking. Um, you know, it wasn't a whole lot of like, man, what a great game or what do you throw this guy? We were just talking like baseball, and we, a little bit of baseball, but. You know, just just hanging out like we were back at home. You know, there it wasn't. Uh, I don't really remember too much about that night, to be honest with you. Not that I was, you know, had too much to drink or anything. Just get, you <laughs> always go to the next night. So, but I, I do remember being being back at the hotel, like sitting around a table and just being pretty chill, like just hanging out and just like okay, like I do remember telling everyone like, calm down, we got to win one more. You know. We got this weather system coming in. We got to play, and we got to win tomorrow and get this thing over with. Uh, let's go to that next night. And again, it's Cabrera at the plate. Sergio Romo gets the called strike three. And after everything you've been through, you're a World Series champion. What's going through your mind right then? Yeah, just just craziness, just running out on the field and and trying to find anyone to hug. Like you're not looking for anyone in particular. It's just you hug the next guy you run into. Um, you know, I did I did search out a couple people, you know, in that pile, and one was Rags. Um, like I said, Rags and I had such a long relationship 
Um, so backing up a little bit in 98 when I got drafted, Rags had just started back coaching, and he was our, our roving pitching instructor. And being down by San Jose, he came to San Jose a lot. So I saw Rags a lot in San Jose in 98, 99, and we just kind of developed a relationship. So he was one guy I kind of searched out. And then uh, Javi Lopez and I became really good friends um, our time in San Francisco those first couple of years. And I kind of – I found him, um, you know, his experience in the playoffs and stuff in Boston – he was a guy I leaned on a lot during those playoffs, asking questions about environment and how to handle situations. So I, I found him. And other than that, you're just going nuts. And then, you know, obviously going to the locker room. And I just couldn't wait to get my hands on that trophy. Um, Boach came in and gave his little speech. And, you know, I wanted to grab it right away, but I kind of left to get passed around a little bit. And then I, I finally got a hold of it. And then, after that, it was like, I got to find my wife. You know, um, they had tucked all the family kind of underneath the stadium a little bit, like waiting for us to do our thing in the locker room and clear out a little bit. And I didn't want to wait that long. So I just kind of started running around trying to find them. And I finally found them and snuck up behind her and grabbed her. And I just remember breaking down a little bit because everything that I had been through in my career, she – was along for the ride. So, um, yeah. pretty special night, not just for me, but to be able to celebrate it with her. And then, of course, we started hugging, and then, like, everybody's wife jumped on the pile. So, I got a hug from a lot of wives at one time. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that, they, they were all waiting, and, and, and you, uh, you opened the door. That's hysterical. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, and then, um, you imagine... know, just, just just celebrating. And then, you know, I, I do have some funny stories about the night. I don't know how much you want to get into, but I ended up riding back to want. the hotel. I ended up riding back to the hotel in a cop car. Um, <laughs> not bad, nothing bad. So, I was, you know, obviously being through everything and finally winning, I was, I was going to soak in the entire experience that I could in the locker room. So, I was like the last one out with uh, the traveling secretary, Brett Alexander. And I have my entire crew that I was telling you about with me, my parents, uh, my wife, and we had two, two uh, family buses out there and go get on the bus. It's completely full. Go to get on the other bus. There was probably, I probably had like six or seven people and I think there was like three seats. So, um, (laughs) I got my parents sat down and got my friends sat down and got my wife to squeeze in with a couple people. people. I go to sit on the steps on the floor and the bus driver was like, bud, I wish I could let you sit there, but I can't. So right. I had, I had two <laughs> champagne bottles in my hand. I had beers in my back pocket. And uh, he's like, I, I wish I could let you do that, but it's against the law. And I said, no, no, I'll get it. So I get off the bus and I'm standing here looking at the traveling secretary and he's like, do you want me to get you an Uber? And I'm like, man, I don't really want to stand here at 2.30 in the morning in Detroit waiting for an Uber, but, yeah, if I have to, that's fine. (laughs) So we had a police escort. We're taking us back to the hotel. And the guy said, if you don't mind riding the back of the cop car, you can ride with us. And I said, I'm with you, man. Let's go. (laughs) So I jump in the back of this cop car. I got, I'm drinking champagne. I'm drinking beers in the back of this cop car. And they they were talking trash with me the whole time because they were Tigers fans, obviously. They were like, 
we know a couple really nice places we can drop you off right now, and they'll treat you real good. And I was like, please just take me back to the hotel. I'll do anything you want. <laughs> well, it was, uh, that was that's one of my favorite stories from the night is, is my wife has some cool pictures from the bus, like looking in, you can see me in the back of the cop car. <laughs> you have to be one of the few, possibly the only person on planet Earth that has had a, a trash-talking, um, drinking ride in a cop car. I, I don't, I don't yeah. think anyone else can say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So, you know, I, I, just, I was sitting um, back there, and, you know, I just kept saying, you guys are going to let me out when we get there, right? You're, you're gonna, you guys are going to let me out because I knew I couldn't open the door from the inside, obviously. They're like, no, buddy, we got you. We're just giving you a hard time. So it was, it was a cool ride. It was fun. They were they were really good dudes. Uh, that is fantastic. And then, um, you know, a couple days later, the parade. What do you remember about that? Oh man, the uh, the number of people. Um, that's the most people I've seen in one place ever in my life. Um, just just looking up at the buildings and seeing people up, the, you know, in the windows going down Market Street, and then just the amount of people on the sidewalk and up the telephone poles and the sidewalk and the street signs. And, you know, just, uh, just an amazing, a number of people. And it just makes you understand how loved the, the giants baseball family is and how together we are as a city, um, the giants and, and the, and the people in the city is a pretty amazing, amazing experience. Um, a tough year in 2013 with the broken hand, but you're right back with the club again in 2014, which I know was not a sure thing. The, the team declines a contract option, but then brings you back. How did that situation come together? Yeah, it was, um, interesting off season. Uh, you know, I, I, I didn't think there was going to be much of an issue with the option. I just kind of thought we were going to roll into this thing. They were going to pick it up and, you know, we go forward, but, you know, having the broken hand the year before and, um, you know, one of the, the biggest things about that when I came back was I felt great, but um, if you've never had a hand injury, it's hard to describe. So when I came back, I just had no, I had no whip in my, in my hand. Um, it was kind of like every time I would try and get on a fastball and whip my hand, like my fingers would tingle and kind of go numb. So, you know, anything in your body that doesn't feel right, you just don't do it. And so my fastball velocity was, was really down. And, you know, I spun a couple pretty good games there at the end of the year that were just straight on luck and, and will and not a whole lot of, uh, you know, fastball velocity under the hood. Um, so there was definitely some, you know, reasons for um, thinking that I could, you know, that, that the fastball wasn't going to come back, but, I kind of knew down deep down in my heart that I was going to be fine. And it was just my hand. And once my hand recovered, I was going to be pretty close back to normal and I was going to roll. So they, uh, you know, they declined the option and uh, it wasn't long after that. They called back and said, Hey, you know, we, we thought things over and we do want to bring you back. Just not for that much money. And I, you know, me being a giant guy, I was like, yeah, I'm in. So they gave me a nice little incentive package on, on the deal that they gave me. And I ended up making more money on that contract than I would have made them if they would have picked up the option anyway. Um, Cause I made every start that year. 
I made 32 starts and then three in the playoffs. And I ended up making more money on that deal than, than the original one in the first place. Perfect. How about that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And those, those, uh, those playoffs you referenced, uh, you get the ball for the closeout game against the nationals in that round. Uh, You pitch well, allow just a couple of hits in five plus innings. And at this point, it's clear you've, you've earned the reputation as a, a big game pitcher. And I wonder throughout, and this can go beyond baseball, um, has that always been you? It, 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 are you someone who is able to step into a big moment? You know, it's one of those things where growing up, I thought I was. And even kind of through college and a little, the couple times I had made it to the playoffs in minor league baseball, um, obviously we re-referenced, you know, Salem in 98. Um, I, I kind of felt like I was, but once I went through that first, the first one in 12 and I was like, I kind of feel like this is what makes me tick. This environment, this magnitude of game is what is where I feel comfortable so going into that game, I, I mean, I had a pretty up and down year that year. Like, uh, you know, I made 32 starts, but the numbers weren't great. And some of the starts were awful and some of them were pretty good. And the other ones were, you know, mediocre. It wasn't like I set the world on fire the whole entire year, you know, and there was even questions of me not pitching, not starting in the, in the postseason. So um, I was pretty in a different place mentally and physically than 12, like going into 12, I was like, I'm ready going into 14. I was like, man, I, I better get, I better step it up here. And I felt like the playoff atmosphere and the magnitude of those games is what I needed to kick me into the next gear. And I ended up spinning a pretty good game. You know, that's the game Hunter makes the catch against the fence in right field. And, uh, you know, we we win that night and don't have to. The biggest thing about that night was we win and don't have to fly back to D.C. <laughs> so that was uh yeah that was yeah. kind of the the attitude going into that game was you know we wanted to get Tim Hudson to the next round because he had never been past the first round of the playoffs and uh you know nobody wanted to get back on a flight and fly back across the country. Wilson Ramos grounds out to end that series. You're off to the NLCS against the Cardinals again. You win that series, setting up the series against Kansas City. The team wins each of your starts throughout, um, and you did some work in the uh, in the Game 6 loss as well, and that sets up Game 7 in Kansas City. What was the clubhouse like before that game? Um, one of the coolest things that I've ever seen, uh, kind of like – the clubhouse was before the wild card game in Pittsburgh. Um, pretty normal day. Uh, walk in there at two and three o'clock. You would never know we were playing a World Series game. But about I don't know six fifteen, you could see everyone's face switch, and it kind of drew me back to two thousand because that's the way I grew up in the game with all those guys I had mentioned earlier, where. The radio got turned off at 6. If we were playing a 7 o'clock game, the radio got turned off at 6.30. The TVs got turned off at 6.30. And it was complete silence. And everybody was thinking about what they were going to do. 
that's very old school. It doesn't happen that way a lot anymore. Um, but I watched our team do it twice that year in the postseason, and I, I was like, this is awesome. Just sitting there looking around, um, watching guys just flip the switch in their mind and in, in their eyes and their face. And I just kept thinking to myself, Kansas City better be ready because we're ready. And, uh, I mean, they put up a good fight, but they just weren't they just weren't uh, playoff battled as we were. Um, you know, you could see it the next year when they ended up winning the next year that uh, they took some stuff that from our series the year before into the next year. Um, but you could just see that we were battle-tested when we got to that game seven. And you could just see how calm and relaxed we were compared to the way they played that game seven, and that's why we won. And then, obviously, Superman entered the building, you know, in a mad bum <laughs> and just kind of put us on his shoulders and, and rode off into the sunset, you know. So it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't always have to be a supernatural <laughs> performance, but it definitely helps when you get one, and he definitely put one up for us that night, that's for sure. What are the other pitchers doing and saying as Baumgartner is, is rolling through all of those innings in relief? And I, I'm sure, just like the fans, nobody's thinking at that point, well, he's just going to go ahead and finish the game. So where, where's your mind, and, and is Bochi ever coming to you and saying, hey, be ready? Well, we were, we were all in the bullpen. Uh, I think the only starters that were in the, in the dugout were – PV, who started game six, Huddy, who had started game seven, and Kane, who was he was injured. Everybody else was in the bullpen. So I think we had, man, we, what we have, we had 12 guys down there. Does that make sense? 11 guys? So, and, yeah, and I mentioned right. earlier that Javi and I were, Javi Lopez and I were very, very close. So we were sitting next to each other just kind of talking, you know, the game through. And, you know, I knew he had – he has his guys that he's kind of thinking about he might have to face in certain situations. So I'm kind of being respectful to him, but just kind of talking out loud. And as bums rolling, we're kind of looking at each other. Like you just got to let him go. Right. And like, like asking each other, like we're not crazy. And we're both like, just let him roll. Like we're not playing tomorrow. And he's, you know, he's young. He's fine. He'll be all right. Um, just let him roll. And uh, so it was kind of everyone kind of knew it at some point that that that's what was going to happen. Um, Santiago Casilla started did, did start throwing in the ninth at one point, but I think that was kind of just for for show and maybe to to kick bum in the ass a little bit and let him know that he needed to finish the game. Uh, so, you know that kind of stuff when you're pitching a game and you see a guy warming up in the bullpen, it's one of those things like he's not coming in here. So I'm going to finish this. So, and I think that's kind of what Boats was doing too. He was just giving Bum a little kick in the ass to get him to the finish line. So, uh, but I, I, there was never a doubt in my mind that once he ran out of the gate, I figured we were going to be jumping on him on the mound at the end at some point. Just didn't know when that was going to be. Madison Bumgarner tried to wrap up this World Series for the Giants. He's ready. He throws. Swing and a pop-up. Side the ball, down the line, in foul ground. He's got plenty of room, and he's got it! And the Giants have won. They have won the World Series for the third time in five years. And Madison Bumgarner has firmly etched his name on the all-time 
World Series record books as one of the greatest World Series pitchers the game has ever seen. What was that celebration like? It sounds like you had a much longer way to go. You had to run all the way from the bullpen. <laughs> yeah, so I tell this story quite a bit too. So I'm in the bullpen. The ball goes up, um, third base side there. And from the bullpen, you couldn't tell how far foul it was. It looked like when he first hit it, like it might go in the seats. So kind of like watching the ball, watching Pablo. Um, so you see Pablo run over, and then you see him kind of, you know, set up camp. like, And you're like, oh, crap, this thing's on the field. And so then he catches it. He goes down. Well, try to go out the gate. Well, the, the guy, could, the, the grounds crew guy was standing there. He couldn't get the gate open. So I'm standing there, like, trying to get through this gate. And all the other guys busted through another gate. So I finally tracked back to this other gate. And I'm, like, way behind everyone. And I'm, like, trying to catch up. I'm, like, that's – I tell people all the time, that's the fastest I ever ran on a baseball field. Um, it was never in an actual game. <laughs> I just didn't want to, like, watch video and see my, like, lone soldier butt, like, running behind everyone. Um, so, yeah, I, that's about as fast as I've ever ran. But um, pretty cool, pretty cool uh, – you know, party that night in Kansas City and, you know, I actually held a trophy for quite a long time that night because in 12, I, I kind of grabbed it in 12 for a little bit and passed it up right away and never got a chance to kind of hold it and, like, caress it for a couple minutes. So I held the trophy for quite a while that night and because um, I knew that, that that was probably, you know, the, the, those uh, situations don't happen a lot and to get up to be able to do it twice, um I was going to make sure I remembered it, so I held on that trophy for a little while that night. Uh, you've meant so much, I think, to the Giant fan base uh, over over the years. How would you describe the relationship that you have had with this organization and the fans? You know, it's um, it's been awesome because I think the fans can relate to me because um, they know it wasn't easy. And I say this quite a bit too. It's, it's, it's the rare case where you get guys like Tim Linscombe and Kane and Baum and Posey that get drafted in the first round and kind of blow through the minor leagues and they come to the big leagues and they have success right away. And they're very good for a good bit of time. Um, those guys don't happen a lot. And we were fortunate enough to have quite a few come through right at the same time. Um, so I think the fans can relate to me because they know that it wasn't easy for me and that I had to take this path. And most people, things aren't easy. They have to take a path. And so I think it's very easy for, for them to relate to me. And they understand that I understand that, that, that life stinks sometimes and it's not easy. So, they took to me, I took to them, and I tell you what, there was definitely a lot, a lot of nights where I fed off their energy and them chanting for strikeouts and um, awesome, I mean, awesome moments, awesome memories of, of the fans in San Francisco and the relationship that I had with them, for sure. It certainly led to an outpouring when you came back for a day and retired as a giant your son out there on the mound. What was that day like? Uh, tough day. Um, very tough day. Uh, you know, when I decided I was going to stop playing, it was in a, a, a parking lot in Fort Myers, Florida. 
um, just taking off a twins uniform. And that's not something that I ever thought was going to happen. Uh, I thought that I would just peel off a Giants jersey after a game someday and hand it to Murph, and, and that would be it. So the fact that, that um, you know, Bobby Evans and the Giants called me and asked me if that's how I wanted to go out, you know, first of all, meant a lot to me because it, it just kind of – he called me one day and said, this is what we want to do for you. And that meant a lot to me because that means they appreciated what I did for them, and I appreciated them – bringing me back in the first place and giving me a chance to do that. Um, so mutual respect both ways. So just a tremendous day, a, a, a sad day, but an a awesome day um, to be able to walk out there. And then obviously my son was on the mound, so I didn't know that was coming. So that, that was, that was awesome. Um, and to just be able to, to throw a couple of pitches and then walk off a baseball field, the way you want to walk off is uh, something that not everybody gets to do. And I understand how special it is when I think about guys in their careers that didn't get to do it that way. And very, very thankful that they gave me the opportunity to, to walk off on my own terms. And on the mound one final time, as today he retires in the orange and black as a San Francisco Giant, number 32, Ryan Vogelsong. Well, he's throwing like he could still get some people out. That's all I know. Well, he's got the same game face on. Bruce Bochy going to come out and take the ball from the hand of a guy that helped him win two world championships. And that's a heartfelt handshake and a hug. And one last time, Vogelstein walks off to the applause and cheers of this great crowd at AT&T. When Boch got out there after you threw the pitch, what did he say to you? You know, he just thanked me for, for everything and, and thanked me for being a warrior. And, um, you know, there there's few things that I feel like are awesome. <laughs> a lot of things are awesome, but there's a few things that I feel like you can relate to on a baseball field. And for me, that's all I tried to do was play my butt off every day that I got the ball and, make my teammates feel like if I was on the mound, we were going to win the game. And for him to say, thanks for being a warrior. And when people say to me, Hey, you are a warrior that that speaks volumes to me. So the fact that he said that to me before I walked off, put icing on the cake for me, um, made me think about the, the taxi cab ride in Pittsburgh. Cause I don't think he probably would have said it to me that day, but uh, just shows you how much we went through together. And um, just I have so much respect for that man that, that for him to say something to me like that means a thousand times what he really thinks it meant. Ryan, what an incredible journey. And, my gosh, the, uh, the respect we all have for you and the, the gratitude that we have uh, for you in these moments that, that we just discussed. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time and sharing everything you did. Well, thanks for having me. Um, like I said before, I hope I didn't uh, long-wind it and people are going, man, when's this guy going to stop talking about himself? But I appreciate the the opportunity to kind of go down memory lane a little bit and think about moments that I haven't thought about or, or think about the situations 
that I haven't thought about. Like, you, you locked me up with what would you do after your Game 3 win in Detroit? That one, I haven't never thought about that before. So that was a great question. <laughs> but anyway, thanks for thanks for having me. Thanks for allowing me to to kind of go down, go down the road a little bit. I, I think everybody is going to love everything uh, that, that you said and, uh, and all the context that you, uh, that you provided. Uh, Ryan, truly, thank you. All right. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Inside Giant Moments presented by Oracle. Don't forget to give us a rating and a review and share the podcast with your friends and family. For more exclusive conversations, subscribe to the Inside Giant Moments podcast presented by Oracle now. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.